Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. It's September 29th. 1650, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. If you wanted to meet a prospective partner in 17th century London, but you'd exhausted your circle of friends and friends of friends, there wasn't exactly a thriving dinner and a movie culture when it came to finding romance with a stranger. That is, until today in history in 1650, when Henry Robinson opened the Office of Addresses and Encounters, part labour exchange, part estate agent, part lost and found office and part dating agency. I'm feeling horny already. (laughs) Um, The Office of Addresses and Encounters was this really weird mix, as you're suggesting, that also kind of sold bits and bobs and facilitated money lending. It's sort of like a citizen's advice bureau mixed with a directory inquiry service and a B&M. Like, mm. it was a bit of everything. But the reason that Henry Robinson established it and then it had this kind of uh, side role <laughs> connecting people romantically was because, I think, for the right motivation, he really did want to offer a place where basically poor people could come and find out about jobs. I mean, that was that was the main role of this place. Mm. You could go and say, who in this city is looking for people to work because I would like to work for them? Yeah, I mean, it was such a weird mishmash, wasn't it? Because it really was trying to be all things to all people. The founding uh, pamphlet read, whereas at present poor people and others spend much time in running up and down from one place to another to seek employment and sell their work, if they repair unto this office, they shall either be directed forthwith to one that wants such artifices, manufacturers, uh, labourers <laughs> and others, or their workmanship. Just so funny how nowadays that's kind of been distilled down into a slogan like on Gumtree, you know, yeah. what you're selling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he tried to sort of then delineate the exact things that could come out of this office, including, uh, number one, the opportunity to buy or sell outright, to mortgage, take or let out uh, a farm by lease, blah, blah, blah. Number two is to buy or sell any kind of wares or merchandise. And then now scroll down to item number 20, and this is where it gets interesting. It says, such as desire to dispose of themselves or friends in marriage may here likewise be informed what encounters there are to be had, both of persons and portions. So this is where it turns out he was also founding this very, very early dating agency. Yeah, I mean, what you get in that passage is that he's offering both information and discretion. Those are both invaluable factors because this was a subject that was extremely delicate. You know, you couldn't go out there hawking for a potential romantic mm. partner, but especially if you were a wealthy person, you know, a wealthy man with property, it was often important for you to have a wife, not necessarily for romantic reasons. And I think reading between the lines, he's not really offering matchmaking in a modern sense. It's more, you know, I have X acres of land, I need to have children or I need to do something complicated with an inheritance and it's going to be useful for me legally to have a wife it's people who are basically lacking something you know that 
a lot of what the office did was offering items for sale and property for sale. And this was really kind of an extension of that, saying, you know, if you're lacking this element of your life, I can help supply it. Mm. Is that what the portions bit means then? Yeah, it's like finding someone of an appropriate dowry or finding someone if you're a little bit short of funds who might be willing to take your title in exchange for bringing something into the marriage with them so what encounters are to be had both of persons and portions i mean it really is saying the land you've got or the land you want is as important as the person we're going to sell you Mm. um but you know particularly for women i mean i can't imagine a woman going in and asking for this asking what men are available and what land they had but Presumably you'd send someone, one of your ladies-in-waiting or something, to go and ask that question for you. Because if you were a woman with property yourself, the law for like another 200 years after this was you couldn't keep that property or any of your money or any of the goods that you'd inherited upon your marriage. And yet you were looked down on in society if you weren't married to somebody. So it really mattered that the person you're about to marry isn't going to spend your father's fortune. Mm. Yeah, and Robinson was a London merchant. You know, he was a wealthy man, but this really wasn't a business venture, luckily for him, because it didn't last very long either. But it was more of a philosophical venture. He got the idea from a guy called Samuel Hartlib. He was a Prussian-born educator, reformer, intellectual, basically had his finger in every single pie. And he had this network of intellectual contacts throughout Europe who shared ideas. And Hartlib's big idea was for a government-funded office of address in every town, where people of all classes could go to find out information information, you know, both academic and practical information from a dedicated staff who in turn would be connected to experts in those fields. You know, the idea is be compared to Google, essentially. Mm. And that was the philosophical underpinning of what Robinson was undertaking. You know, it did have its roots in this quite utopian idea of there being a place you could go to, no matter what your rank was, and find out information on any topic under the sun. Yeah, because we had publishing at this point, but we didn't have readers necessarily. I mean, that's another mm. thing, isn't it? You needed someone to interpret what they'd read for you if you couldn't read. Yeah. I mean, that's the fascinating thing that, you know, because he had this big, broad philosophical idea, unsurprisingly, he just couldn't get anyone to be interested in it at any level of government. And so eventually he went ahead and set up what was effectively a private enterprise that, as you said, Rebecca, didn't last very long. And, you know, even so, the idea of it is remembered as the inspiration for a lot of public information projects, including the kind of idea of a living encyclopedia on both sides of the Atlantic. And it was so affordable as well, uh, as we're saying, not necessarily profitably so, but uh, he was offering his services for free to the poor, but even if you weren't poor, he only charged sixpence for an answer to a query. (laughs) So I I guess the idea was, you know, you kind of come in for a light query, like what times are the ships sailing, and then you end up buying a West Indian plantation. (laughs) Just keep asking questions. Classic upselling. it's, It's Costco. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the amount of services that he's offering in this initial pamphlet is incredible, really. You know, he specifies buying and selling land and houses, but also courier services, language tuition, listings for barbershops, secondhand clothing for sale, finding travel companions, you know, if you didn't want to be travelling the continent alone, as well as lost and found listings, which, again, is such a brilliant idea that, you know, mm. must have struck people as being fairly novel at the time. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that, like, matchmaking agencies in Britain 
of a kind did start to appear in the 1600s when parish vicars <laughs> played a crucial role in matching their parishioners with a spouse of the same social class. But, you know, it just really didn't relinquish its ties to religion until 1825, and that was when the first non-religious dating agencies opened its doors, also in London, incidentally. But this was a real precursor to that. This was like a place that was trying to say, you can come here you can be any sort of person with any sort of religious beliefs and we will try to uh, put you together with someone who is appropriate. Yeah, I mean, there are scattered examples in the 1600s and 1700s. You know, the first documented evidence of a Lonely Hearts ad in English, at least, seems to be a classified which appeared in 1685. But there were satirical ones as well. You know, it was a phenomenon that was slow to take off, not least because prior to the Industrial Revolution, most people lived pretty small lives. You know, they often stayed close to their birthplace with a close-knit circle of family and friends that they could rely on for Productions. It wasn't until the 19th century where you had this big class of young single people living in the cities without any particular social network that it would take off. However, from those pre-industrial revolution examples, there are some really interesting ones, including an example of a missed connection. You know, it was pretty racy in a time when men and women had to be formally introduced. Mm. Uh, this Saw one you appeared... on the steam carriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much. So this is in the General Advertiser in 1748. A young man writes seeking a, quote, Lady genteelly dressed, whom he had spotted leading a string of stallions through Edmonton, Tottenham and Newington, he says, this is to acquaint her that if she is disengaged and inclinable to marry, a gentleman who was smitten with her behaviour on that occasion is desirous of making honourable proposals to her, in which state, if he be not so happy as to please, he will readily purchase the whole string of stallions for her satisfaction. <laughs> Incidentally, they were very much for men posting, uh, presumably mostly to try and find women. Women, though there were actually code words that people could deploy to find a male lover as well. Travelling companion is probably one of those. Probably <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, in 1727, a woman called Helen Morrison became the first woman to place an ad in a Lonely Hearts column in the Manchester Weekly Journal. And her prize for doing so, she, she actually said she wanted someone nice to spend my life with. That was it. But instead of getting a response from someone keen to share her, her, her life with her, the mayor responded and sent her to a mental institution for four weeks. So she was ahead of her time uh, and the world wasn't ready for what she was proposing. That'll teach her to correspond with newspapers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the ACAST Creator Network.